Welcome to Podcast Hackers, the show for podcasters by podcasters. Here, each episode, you'll hear from the best and brightest podcasters and learn how they're growing their audience, monetizing their shows, and making an impact through podcasting. And now, your host, Craig Hewitt. All right, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Hackers. Today we have Joe Casabona on the show. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So Joe is a fellow podcaster, obviously, and a big kind of player in the WordPress space as well. So Joe and I met for the first time at Podcast Movement last year in Philadelphia and wanted to have you on today, Joe, to talk about kind of who you are and what you do. And and I think the intersection of WordPress and podcasting is kind of special to a lot of people that listen to this show. We also want to touch on advertising a little bit later because you do some pretty cool things with your advertising for your podcast. But you want to give folks a bit of an intro of kind of who you are and what you do in the podcasting world? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Joe Casabona. I am a online course creator, podcaster, and web developer. And the order in which I just said them is the reverse order in which they happened. So I've been using WordPress since 2004, and I've been podcasting since 2014. And most recently, I have a podcast podcast called How I Built It, where I interview people about kind of how they came up with the idea for their products and how they built them out and and came up with the idea and research and, and things like that. And that basically came out of me having conversations privately with friends about how they built their business as I prepared to go out on my own full time. And I thought these are very good and important conversations. And I think that they would be worthwhile to publish. So I started doing that. And that was about three years ago. And the podcast is doing incredibly well. So I wanted to touch on the extension of kind of natural conversations you're having with your friends and colleagues, but do you want to give a sense for how well the podcast is doing? Yeah. So I get, well, actually in season six and in my most recent season, I am getting 5,000 downloads per episode in the first week. And I get between 40 and 44,000 downloads per month. So usually from what I hear, as far as what sponsors like to see is 5,000 downloads within the first 30 days is when they start really like considering podcasts. Sweetness. Yeah. 10,000 within the first 30 days is like very good. So I'm, yeah. So it's very exciting. I'm, I'm incredibly happy with the growth. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I mean, I can tell you from our perspective at Castos, those are really big numbers. We have probably a few handful of podcasters on our platform that do quite a bit more than that, but many that do a lot less. So they think you're in kind of rarefied air there. So that's very cool. Oh, thank you very much. I, I hadn't realized those numbers exactly in until uh, I had at Podcast Movement, I happened to run into Pat Flynn and I was talking to him a bit and I told him my numbers and he was like, you, you're in the top 10% of all podcasts. And I was like, that can't be right. But it, mm. it was right, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there is a, well, it's like a lot of things. There's like the long tail on either side of the bell curve where, I mean, I think you're definitely, I would say top 10, I would maybe even say top 5% just because it's so many people never get past a thousand downloads an episode or something like that. And I think that a lot of people, and this is a whole tangent we're getting into, but I think a lot of people put so much weight on their metrics of, you know, I have a thousand downloads or 10,000 or 50,000 downloads, the impact that it can have on your business or your brand or your marketing or your movement or whatever you're trying to do is relative. It's not exactly the same for everybody. So I think folks out there listening say, oh man, I only have 500 downloads an episode. That can be really, really, really impactful for you and what you're trying to do 
Joe having 10,000 downloads an episode or 5,000 or whatever it is, is great for him. But I think we shouldn't compare ourselves is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, if, if you open a niche restaurant that only, let's say, caters to, you know, vegans or something like that, you could be doing really well. But the the population of people who are vegan versus not vegan is a lot smaller. Right. So, you know, judging yourself just based on your numbers is it is a little bit of a vanity metric. And I I admit that all the time. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, 10,000 downloads. Like, I know it's like a total vanity metric, but it's it's nice to see. Makes me feel good, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to circle back to touch on kind of where the podcast came from. because it's a really interesting kind of Superman origin story. You're having conversations with friends and future colleagues about what they're doing in the web development world before you went out on your own. How did those conversations change when you started recording them for a podcast? I think that's the thing a lot of people are afraid of is like, I'm having these really great conversations. I'm afraid that when I hit record, I'm going to change. My friends are going to change. The style and tone of the conversation is going to change. Did you run into that or were you able to keep things much as they were before? I think I was able to keep them pretty much like they were before. And it's because I, I don't like to ask questions like, how much are you making here? Or like, I, I try not to ask questions that seem private. Mm. And whether or not I'm recording a conversation or not, if I ask a question that I feel might be uncomfortable for the person to answer, I always say like, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but, and then I'll ask the question. So okay. that's just me in conversation, whether it's being recorded or not. I've been told I'm a good conversationalist. And I think that probably shows in the interviews that we do, because I very rarely have come away from an interview where I'm like, ah, oh, that went really poorly or they were too guarded or like I had to pry information out of them. So yeah, yeah. I think that's a skill for sure is like learning how to be a good interviewer, especially in a kind of a weird medium like podcasting, like right, I'm sitting here in my office talking to you across the world and we're having this conversation. This is not like a natural human thing. For for folks who are like maybe kind of just getting started or struggling with this a little bit, is there anything that you intentionally did aside from the the kind of privacy thing, which sounds like it carries over from the rest of your life? As you were getting started with podcasting, is there anything that you did that you feel like really kind of set you up for success with being a good interviewer? I am generally inquisitive. So in my research, when I had guests on I did just enough to make sure like I was saying their name and had their company and what they did, right? Uh -huh. But I didn't do like deep research into their story. And part of the reason is because I didn't want to ask leading questions and I wanted to, I wanted to be surprised. So if a guest answered a question and, and I wasn't expecting that answer, I would be surprised and the listeners can hear that. And then I would ask a generally inquisitive follow-up to that. So yeah, natural. Yeah, exactly. So like, again, this kind of depends on your show and the kind of person you are. Maybe people need to do a lot of research to make sure they have enough questions to fill 30 minutes or an hour or something like that. But in my case, I do just the minimum amount of research to make sure I don't look like an idiot. And then the rest is a very natural conversation where I'm surprised and I ask follow-up questions because I, I legitimately want to know. And I don't, I'm not just trying to prod the answer out of the guest for the audience. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So kind of switching gears a little bit to sponsorship. So Joe, you are one of the few people I know that actually makes money podcasting. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's interesting. We're recording this episode on the heels of the announcement that Spotify is buying both Anchor and Gimlet Media. And so I think everyone in the podcasting world right now is saying, what's going on? <laughs> Where are we going to be next year? Yeah. What does this mean for me, both 
for me as a participant in the industry as a hosting platform, but probably for you as a podcaster that has sponsors. What does this mean for you? What will change for you in the future? I can imagine you're asking yourself some of these questions, but I guess run us through how you monetize your show with advertising kind of generally without kind of giving away too much of the special sauce. Yeah, absolutely. For me, personal connections have been incredibly important in monetizing my podcast. I had for two or three years before I started How I Built It, had gone to conferences and word camps and networked with people and spoke and developed a really good professional network so that when I did go out on my own, I reached out to a few people when I realized I knew I wanted to keep doing this and said, hey, I started a podcast. I'm looking for sponsors. My first sponsor price was like $99 an episode because it was like just enough to to pay for it and everything. And most people trusted in what I was doing and who I was. And they said, yeah, we'll sponsor a couple of episodes. So that's been really rewarding. And then Since then, I continued to build that network and really made sure I took care of those sponsors who were very happy and continued to sponsor the podcast. And then my numbers grew. So starting out, it was very much I tapped my personal network and and people wanted to support this thing because Joe was doing it and Joe does good work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of, going back to downloads a little bit, what kind of metrics did you have when you had your first sponsors? Interestingly enough, I had virtually no metrics because my first sponsor came in episode two. Wow. Yeah. Rebecca Gill was my guest and she was talking about how she built her online course platform and mentioned learning. Dash. And so I reached out to the founder of LearnDash, Justin Ferriman, and I said, hey, LearnDash gets mentioned. I was wondering if you would maybe like to sponsor this episode because of him. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, I actually didn't know him, but I was vouched for by somebody else. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll support this thing that you're doing. It's really cool. But as time went on, the metrics that I used were not just downloads, but overall reach, because my overall reach was better than just my downloads for a while. So you mean like, you know, social media and email and things like that? Exactly. So I basically said, if you sponsor my podcast, you'll be, there'll be a permanent place on your homepage, on my homepage or on the episode page. I will tweet you out three or four times a week to my however many followers I had at that time. I'll post you on Facebook. I have over a thousand people in my email newsletter that will that I'll I'll promote you to as well. And and I, I think that was pretty helpful because it was Again, people had kind of already trusted me because of the network that I built up. And I also kind of pitted myself against like traditional conference sponsorship as a more permanent method for sponsorship, right? So people sponsor a WordCamp for thousands of dollars and they're there for a day and they connect with, you know, maybe 10% of the attendees and then they're gone. Whereas for a fraction of that price, you will be forever on this episode's page and in the episode's feed. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an interesting one. I've not heard that before. Where I'll take half a step back in my thought process. A lot of people say, where can I start with getting sponsors? You had two really good, I think, points there. One is just your own personal network, the people that you know in your industry or that are doing the thing that you're doing, what in your sports or your hobby or your business or whatever. But then also if there's a conference that you go to or a group or an event or something like that, where there are other participants that are paying money to, to sponsor these things, 
they should be fantastic candidates to target to sponsor your show too, right? Because they've already spent money to support kind of this space that you're in. Probably makes sense that they would spend money on your podcast as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and especially with WordCamps, I should say, like, because... For people who don't know what WordCamp is, just explain it briefly. A WordCamp is basically a, a weekend conference that focuses around WordPress and they are generally community-driven. So there are dozens of WordCamps every year in both communities, small and large, and people within the WordPress community sponsor those events to keep the costs low. So if you are in a city where there's a WordCamp, you're probably going to pay like 20 bucks for a full day conference, lunch included usually. So, and it's the sponsorship money that makes that happen. So, you know, people talk about like when you go for business investments, you always talk to friends, fools, and family first. (laughs) And I will exclude fools because nobody who's ever sponsored my podcast is a fool. But (laughs) I went to friends and family first and I basically said, hey, I'm starting this. I believe in your product. I promote your product. And I would love to have you as a sponsor. And that worked for a while. But yeah, absolutely. If you're looking at somebody who's sponsoring a conference, they are paying hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars to do that by the time they get the booth, the swag, the people at the conference. So if you if you pit the value proposition of that conference versus your podcast, you have more permanence, a lower cost, and potentially a higher ROI, right? Because people who listen to podcasts generally trust the hosts. So there's like this, this really interesting dynamic where it's intimate is maybe the wrong word, but somebody listens to you every week, likes you and trusts you. And so if you're going to promote something and really be honest about that promotion, they're more likely to consider that than just walking by a banner at a conference. Yeah. I use the word intimate and I don't think it's weird or awkward, <laughs> but I do mean you're literally in someone's ear right. for 30 or 45 minutes every every week. So I think intimate is, is right. I mean, the thing is people talk about stuff on a podcast that they would never blog about. And I think that's maybe what makes it intimate is the type of conversation you and I are having today is totally different than a blog post I would write about podcast advertising, right? So it's just different. Yeah. So, okay. So started with kind of friends and family, sponsors of events that you were going to. At this point, I know that you sell out your seasons of podcasts way ahead of time. I know that because Castos is a sponsor of the most recent season of How I Built It, very proudly. Can you talk about the the process you go through now with like soliciting offers or reaching out to people to to get offers to sponsor the show and kind of generally how you manage that all the way to kind of securing the audio that's going to go in the spot, kind of generally how that process works for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm ready to kind of start making another run at getting a season sponsored, I will make a list of all of the people, all of the companies I want to reach out to. And that's a, a mix of people who have sponsored before and people who have never sponsored, maybe people who have never heard of me. I have since put together a pitch deck. This was one of my really big takeaways from podcast movement was put together a pitch deck. And in that pitch deck, I have who I am and what the podcast is about, but also general stats about podcast listeners and how loyal they are and how more likely they are to listen to a podcast advertisement than, let's say, people who watch TV. Then I talk about 
my listeners in general and their demographics. And then I get into the pricing and I bundle seasons and half seasons and things like that at a discount, mostly because it makes my job slightly easier, right? If somebody buys an entire season up front, that is fewer episodes that I need to sell on the back end. And so that is, that's worth something personally to me. And I want to pass that savings on to the sponsor. What, what does that savings typically look like? A 10% versus a per episode rate or something like that? Yeah, something like that. If you buy four or more episodes, you get 10%. If you sponsor a half season, it is 12%. And a full season is 15%. So it's like okay. a sliding scale. Because again, like the more episodes you sponsor, the less work I need to do, right? Yeah. But I also want to encourage that because because one of the keys to podcast sponsorship is repetition, right? If you sponsor one episode of a podcast, either based on timing or if people just skip that part of the episode, they're probably not going to hear it. But if you sponsor six or 10 or, or 12, it's more likely to stick, right? This is why Coca-Cola still runs advertisements, even though most people in the world know who Coca-Cola is. Yeah. So in any case, I make a list of companies I'd like to reach out to. If I have a personal connection there or like a second degree personal connection where I know somebody who know somebody, I'll reach out to them specifically and say, hey, I'm looking for sponsors for my podcast. Can you make an introduction? Or do you think this is something your company would like to do? Otherwise, I try to find the email address of the most appropriate person to talk to, whether that's like press or marketing or just someone's name I find on LinkedIn. And I reach out to them. And it's it's a cold email, but it's I say, hey, my name is Joe. I have this podcast, blah, blah, blah. I talk about the podcast. And then I say, I think that your product would be a good fit for my audience for these reasons. So it's not a canned response where I say, hey, I think this would be a good fit. Give me money. I say, I think this would be a good fit because you make managed WordPress hosting and most of my listeners are WordPress users, right? Or you have a keyboard shortcut program and a lot of developers love keyboard shortcuts. So I think this would resonate with them. It's stuff like that. I cast a wide net and then the people who respond that they're interested, I kind of mark them in my CRM as interested. The people who are not, I mark them as probably don't reach out or follow up in six months to see if they are interested, depending on their response. I send them the pitch deck. When I send that email, I don't include the pitch deck. I say, I'd love to send you more information if you're interested. Mm, okay. Yeah. If they ask for the pitch deck, then I send it. And then I try to nurture that relationship. I follow up once within seven days. And then if I don't hear from them in about 30 days, I follow up again. And then I don't want to bother them. So I, if I don't hear from them after 30 days, I kind of mark them again as not really interested. But the ones who are interested, we have a conversation. I tell them about my process and then I send them an insertion order, basically defining the sponsorship and, and we go from there. So I have two specific questions about the, the kind of outreach part. One is how many people do you reach out to and how many spots do you sell in a typical season? I sell 66 spots in a season. And that works out to three spots per episode and 22 episodes per season. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's 66 spots I need to fill. A lot of sponsors are buying more than one spot. So you might have 15 sponsors or 10 sponsors for a season, right? Yeah, exactly. And I got like, I'm actually incredibly happy this season because I got two full season sponsor and then the half season sponsor. So I only really need to sell like 10 episodes or something like that. Mm -hmm. So this has been a, a markedly better selling season for me for whatever reason. I think part of it is that I caught a lot of people at the right time. I reached out around October, October, November, which is when people are starting to think about their budget. Got to spend that budget. 
budget, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm catching them either at the right time because they have budget left over they need to spend, or I get in on the next year's budget. And so they have money next year allocated for the podcast. Yeah. So sorry, like round numbers, you reach out to 100 people or 20 people or 500 people. Like what, what kind of ballpark do you typically do? I probably reach out to about 20 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like, well, I start off at 20, right? Because, you know, if <laughs> I'm pretty optimistic and I also give my full and half season sponsors like first right of refusal. So the first thing I need to do is reach out to those folks and say, hey, I'm gearing up for the next season. Would you like to continue your sponsorship? And the reason I do that is because I want to give them first dibs. Obviously, they're good supporters, but for the full season sponsors, I offer, you know, I don't want to run competition against them. Yeah. So, you know, like uh, with with Casto sponsoring, I wouldn't reach out to like Buzzsprout or whatever and say, hey, right. you guys want to sponsor the show. Very much appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think I think that's a really important thing is you need to take care of your sponsors because they're taking care of you. And it's a relationship. It's not just they're handing you money for, for something. You want to make sure that everybody benefits. And it's not a one-time relationship. I, mean, I think that's really important. Like in previous life, I had a history in sales. And yeah, your most likely person to buy from you is someone who's already bought from you. So going back to your existing or previous sponsors and saying, hey, do you want to keep doing that awesome thing you did last year? You know, I know you told me you had really good you know, ROI on it. And they probably will say, yeah, let's just do it. And that's wonderful, right? So easy, so much easier than starting a whole new relationship. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I do at the end of a sponsorship too, maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, is I follow up after about 30 days after the last episode. And I say, hey, here's how your sponsorship went. Here's how many downloads we got. From what I can see, here's how many people interacted with the link that I gave. I ask them if they want to share their stats or how they feel the sponsorship went and what I can do better. Right. And I think that's important because it's like, you know, I'm not like how stuff works or whatever, you know, I'm not like a giant podcast done by a corporation. And I know that there are things that I can do better and who better to tell me how I can improve than the people who are, are sponsoring the show. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What CRM do you use to keep track of all this? I use Airtable, which isn't actually a CRM. No. It's, a, it's like a database sort of table, and I'm a nerd. But it does what I need it to do, right? So it's like it's just a tab that's always open for me, and I have a task in OmniFocus to, to check it every morning, right? So I'll go in, and it'll have like last contacted date and who, who I need to follow up with. And that's partially because I like don't feel like I'm ready to pay for a real CRM, um, but also just like... I do other stuff in Airtable too. So it's nice to, to keep a bunch of things in one tool. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, CRMs are, some can be very, very, very expensive, but some like Pipedrive, I think are relatively inexpensive. So I've not actually ever used Airtable. I hear it's wonderful though. I've been using a lot of Notion lately. To notion.so for all sorts of stuff like that. And it is absolutely fantastic. So I think anyone looking to get organized, Airtable is really, really popular these days. Notion, maybe check that out too for any of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I looked at Notion very recently as well. A friend recommended it and... It is really cool. It's, it's it looks like it's very clean. Yep. In the end, I was like, it's similar enough to Airtable that it doesn't make me want to move. Yeah, I would I have a very bad day if I couldn't use it anymore. <laughs> it would be <laughs> it would up in my world. So so I think we've kind of run through your process, and it's fantastic to hear for me, and I, I think for everyone else, kind of how you run your sponsorships very selfishly. I would love to get your thoughts on podcasting platforms or places 
that do the sponsor procurement for you. So a service like Midroll maybe, or podcast platforms like Anchor, where you can go in and say, I want to have sponsors for my podcast. And they say, great, pick from this list of 20 or 300 or whatever it is. I believe in most of these, you can record your own spiel, much like you do, but you're kind of picking from a pre- vetted list of sponsors. I take it you've never done that, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that as a podcaster. Yeah, absolutely. So I I used one at some point and I am struggling to figure out, I can't remember the name of it, but they have since gone away. And their model was interesting. It was basically like, it wasn't at any cost to me. It was their fee was charged on top of the sponsor's fee. Mm. But I really wish I could remember the name of it, but I got in there early. They got me a couple of sponsorships early on, but it wasn't, it wasn't steady enough for me to only use their channel. Right. And that was actually something the founder asked me. He was like, Hey, how come you're still selling sponsorships on your site? How come you're not driving everything through us? And I said, well, you're not paying the bills, man. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I've gotten more sponsorships from my personal connections than from you. Yeah. And I wouldn't feel comfortable like charging my personal connections an extra 10% just to drive them through you. Right. So I have used that one, but I've been very lucky in that I haven't needed it. As I go on, I suspect I probably will need it, right? Because as I grow or certain sponsors maybe stop sponsoring podcasts for a little while, I think it'll probably be a little harder for me to sell. It's probably like seasonal the way people sponsor podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I've always liked the idea. It is really important to me that I record the ad role myself. And I'm actually switching up how I do that, right? So in the past, I've, I've asked people for scripts. And moving forward, thanks to a fantastic article on Ahrefs um, that I'm sure everybody in the podcast space by this time has read, I'm instead going to start asking for access to the product that they want me to use so that I could speak personally about it. Because yeah. as we said before, that personal connection and that personal story converts better. Yeah, yeah. I think for for our experience working together, I think that your experience using Castos has really helped kind of you talking to kind of what it does and who it's for and why people might enjoy it and things like that. Yeah, I think it would be hard to genuinely endorse something you've never used before. I can imagine, even with a great script and someone you really trust, I, I can imagine... I would fear that they were uh, kind of trying to put the rose color glasses on me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, it just, it sounds more genuine, right? If I talk about my personal experience, because first of all, no matter how good of an actor you are or how natural you sound, if you're reading something, most people can tell, right? Like, I mean, you could tell when any president of the United States is speaking off the cuff or reading from a teleprompter, right? And so by not necessarily having a script, but by having talking points and talking about my personal experience, it shows people that I'm speaking A, from the heart, B, that I have used the product and I believe in it. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great, man. That's great. So Joe, you mentioned at the beginning that you are a online course creator and create kind of educational materials around WordPress and podcasting and the intersection of those two sometimes. I've been through several of them, but for folks who want to kind of learn about that part of your world, can you share where they can learn about that? Yeah, absolutely. If you head over to creator 
creatorcourses.com. That's creator, not creative. Creatorcourses.com is where you'll find all of my educational stuff. And and that's like WordPress related courses. I have a, a course on getting your podcast online and published using Castos, of course. And I have a lot of really good stuff, especially for podcasting planned in 2019. Awesome. Very cool. And for folks who want to kind of reach out and chat with you some more, Joe, where's the best place to reach you online? Twitter, I think, is the best place. And that is Jay Casabona. I'm Jay Casabona on most social networks. And I've been spending a lot of time on Instagram lately, too. Cool. So, yeah. So, but yeah, just say hi on Twitter and I'll, I'm usually checking my replies for that. Awesome. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing all sorts of really great knowledge about podcasting and particular sponsorship. I learned a ton and I think everyone else did too. So thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I had a good time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Podcast Hackers. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. This goes a long way towards helping spread the word about the show to other podcasters just like you. Until next time, happy podcasting.